Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these parables, these uh, very specific instructions of Jesus that reveal um, the secret to the kingdom of heaven to those who have ears to hear. And I pray tonight that we are those who have ears to hear. I open our minds to understand the scriptures. We understand, Lord, that the Holy Spirit is the only way that happens. So I pray in Jesus' name that the Holy Spirit will open our minds to understand every detail of these parables that you have for us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So why parables? In itself is a mystery. Why not just come out and say it? Jesus says, so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But why parables? Okay, Luke 8, 8. Um, This is the context of the parable of sower, which was the first one we did in these sessions. When he had said this, he called out, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. What does that mean? Some people hear it and get it, and some people hear it and don't get it. There's the mystery. But why parables? Then why parables? His disciples asked him what this parable meant. That was the parable of the sower. He replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God. But I use parables to teach the others so that the scriptures might be fulfilled when they look, they won't really see. When they hear, they won't really understand. So there, there is a mystery in here. There's a mystery. Why, why can't you hear? Why can't you see? Um, so tonight, I, let's acknowledge there's a mystery. There's, there is one. Why parables? Anyone with ears to hear should listen to understand. So tonight, we pray that we will have those ears. So here we go. Let's get started with the yeast. Uh, leaven. Yeast is another word for leaven in the, in the Bible. This is parable number 11 of 35. Matthew 13. Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast that a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour... It, the little bit of yeast, permeated every part of the dough. Jesus always used stories and illustrations like these when speaking to the crowds. In fact, he never spoke to them without using such parables. This fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet. And by the way, that's Psalm 78. Jesus is quoting Psalm 78. What's what's that tell you about Psalms? What's that tell you about the Old Testament? He uses it as a revelation of authority so that the scripture might be fulfilled. I will speak to you in parables. I will explain things hidden since the creation of the world. And how will he do it? Through parables. That's how he's going to do it. That's how he's doing it right now. So this parable follows the parable of the mustard seed. That's going to help you understand why Jesus compares The kingdom of heaven to yeast. The kingdom of heaven and a mustard seed. Why is he comparing something so big, the kingdom of heaven, to something so small, yeast and a mustard seed? It all begins small. This is God's way. 
Now, last week we talked about this whole mustard seed thing, that, that if you really want to put it down to practical terms, how did uh, Christianity begin, the gospel begin? God and the Holy Spirit descended upon Mary, and God placed his seed inside of Mary's womb. A seed. A mustard seed. It's not a mustard seed, but it's an illustration. Okay? Someone call me down on that. It wasn't a mustard seed. <laughs> so he puts a seed inside of Mary, and what? She has a baby. And the world's going to change with a baby? With a seed? It, kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It's going to start really small, and then... And then it'll get a little bigger, and it'll get a little bigger, and then it'll get a little bigger, and then it explodes. Jesus is the one saying that's how it's going to work. Well, tonight he's using the same idea. Yeast is usually used in the Bible to describe sin or uncleanness. Uh, so yeast in the, in, the, in the Old Testament doesn't get a very good uh, favorable rating. You would eat a lot of flatbread back then. It didn't rise because in the spiritual sense, yeast describes sin. But in this parable, listen, in this parable, Jesus uses yeast and its smallness to describe how it has the power to spread throughout the entire batch of dough. Now, listen, here's where this parable is unique. That spreading can go two ways. It can be a good thing, a good little thing that spreads a lot of good, or a bad little thing that spreads a lot of bad. But it begins small. So let's go to Matthew 16, 6. Jesus uh, said this, watch out. Jesus warned them, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What are they carrying around little yeast packets? <clears throat> what is that about? It, Beware of the small thing inside of these men's lives that has the ability to permeate all of people around them. So what is it specifically? Now, we'll touch on that as we go tonight. Why do you call out Pharisees and Sadducees? They're religious, Jewish religious teachers. Well, the Pharisees, um, they knew the Word. They knew the Old Testament. But it, become, it had become a rigid, legalistic lifestyle. And, and to prove it, they knew the Word, and Jesus, the Son of God, standing in front of them, and they can't see him. They could not recognize this guy. And in fact, they hated him. They despised him. The yeast of the Pharisees. To, to know what's in here, to know what's in here, but you couldn't recognize Jesus if he came up and looked in the eyeball. Beware of the yeast of a Pharisee. Now, what about the Sadducees? Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Also, they only believed in the first five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They didn't believe anything after the first five books were, were real, were true. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's the interesting nature of this particular parable. That small beginning and eventual spread can be good, can be evil. 
So yeast in itself, in this context, is not evil. Let's say that. In this context, yeast is not evil. Um, in fact, go back up to verse 33, Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman used in making bread. Even though she put a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. In that context, yeast is not an evil thing. It just describes how something small can affect something all around it. Yeast in itself is not evil. It, it is just used as a description of something that can spread and cover a large area Let's do this. Let's call yeast a transformational event, a transformational ingredient that can be good, can be evil. The issue is this, is the small yeast beginning good and spreading to more good, which is like the mustard seed example from last week, or is this yeast evil and spreading to more evil? which Jesus warns about Pharisees and Sadducees because they couldn't see Jesus for who he is. So let's, let's do some deep digging. God called Israel out. He called, he's he's going to call a group of people and he's going to separate them from the rest of the people on the earth. He's going to deliberately, purposefully, intentionally make these people different than anybody else. He calls them out to live a life that's totally different from the world. Now, in these illustrations of parables, these guys were designed to have ears to hear. Okay? Using the parable analogy. Why parables? He's going to call them out, and by God's design, they're going to have ears to hear. This next text is from the first Passover after they left Egypt. What are we looking for? We're looking for yeast. Leaven. What does it mean in the Old Testament? Exodus 12, 17. Celebrate this festival of unleavened bread. For it will remind you that I brought your forces out of the land of Egypt on this very day. I'm bringing you out. I'm going to separate you from these people. This festival will be a permanent law for you. Celebrate this day from generation to generation. What day? This feast of unleavened bread. A feast of eating bread without yeast in it. The, the bread you eat must be made without yeast. Why? Okay, let's stay with me. This bread must be eaten without, must be made without yeast. From the evening of the 14th day of the first month until the evening of the 21st day of that month. So for seven days, no yeast, no yeast. Now, the rest of the time, yeast is not the problem. The rest of the time you can use yeast and let your bread rise. It's okay. But not during the seven days. Why? During those seven days, there must be no trace of yeast in your homes. Anyone who eats anything made with yeast during this week will be cut off from the community of Israel. Now, somebody would say, well, isn't that a little harsh? Such a little thing? Such a little thing? Let me ask you a question. Do you think this is such a little thing? Because this is God talking. God said seven days don't have any yeast. It's not a little thing. 
It might be a little thing if I told you that, but it's not a little thing if God told you that. Here we go. These regulations, by the way, this is generational generation. This is, this is going to last from now on to the Jews. These regulations apply both to the foreigners living among you and to the native-born Israelites. And let me explain what that would mean. A foreigner living among you would have had to have converted to Judaism to live among you. So a Gentile could come into Israel's camp or live among the people if they converted to Judaism. But you would have to convert and you'd have to be circumcised. So they're still considered a foreigner living among you. Why? Because they don't have the bloodline. But they're accepted. And did you see? They can't have yeast either. So they're being brought into the rules uh, of Gentiles, but we're not really calling them Gentiles anymore, are we? Because they're, they're kind of Jewish because they're coming in, they've been circumcised, uh, kind of adopted in. Verse 20, during those days, you must not eat anything made with yeast. Wherever you live, eat only bread made without yeast. What's this mean? Israel began with one man. You got, you got to see God's picture. Israel began with one man, Abraham. He's the mustard seed that grew into a great nation. God likes to start these things small, and as the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It starts little and grows. Israel was to live among the nations. And notice the word among the nations. But they were called out to be different. God knew that it would only take a little yeast, it would only take a little bit of worldly thinking inside the batch of dough called Israel to destroy the whole nation. Is anybody with me? This is where this thing's going. God knew something that many people then and today still don't understand. He's going to call out a special group of people, give them a special law, give them special attention, but he knew something. It would only take just a pinch of the world inside of that called out people to make them start to become like the world. Just a pinch. It would permeate the entire batch of dough. God knew it. The law would make Israel different from the world because the world would never follow the law of Moses. Those 613 rules, the world's not going to follow those. The world's going to say, you know what the world's going to say? I like yeast. Very much, thank you. You're crazy. The world's not going to go for that. Why? Because they don't have ears to hear. That's why God told them not to intermarry. You think this is about some races? This has got nothing to do with race. This is about the idea of not intermarrying was because with other nations, because their foreign wives would become like yeast inside the nation of Israel. Foreign wives would bring foreign thinking, foreign idolatry, foreign worship, foreign whatever, what, because they're outsiders. And they're going to bring it in, a little bit of yeast, going to transform the entire nation. So you can't intermarry. But there was also a danger. So here's the external danger. I, if I'm going to draw a circle around you, 
You're going to be born of a bloodline under the law, which means you're going to teach your kids to obey the law, and they'll teach your kids to obey the law. And yeah, occasionally a Gentile will join in, but he's got to be circumcised. He's got to obey the law, or you've got to kick him out. Okay? Is that the only problem you're going to face? No, the problem will also come with yeast on the inside. What would that look like? Well, I already said it. Beware of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's not just external, marrying someone, woman who's worshiping the Canaanite gods. It can happen on the inside too. Beware of the yeast. It comes from both sides. The inside of the batch of dough, the law could become your God. Anybody listen? The law could become your God. And what would that look like? Religious ritual could possibly replace their true calling, which was what? That you would become the children of God, that he would be Abba, that he wouldn't be a set of rules written on a book, but he would be your father. You see the difference? Big difference. One is he's daddy. The other is he's the law. Well, is he the law? Yes, but he wants to be daddy. That's what he wanted from Israel. A relationship. So let's jump back into the New Testament, Matthew 16. Later, after they crossed to the other side of the lake, the disciples discovered they had forgotten to bring uh, any bread. And Jesus uh, says, watch out. Jesus warned them. And out of the blue, so, so they forgot to bring bread on the boat. Okay, lunch. They didn't bring lunch. And and Jesus is going to turn, it, turn the conversation from lunch to something spiritual, but he's going to use this bread as the tool to do it. So watch out, Jesus warned them, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. It almost looks out of context. They forgot lunch and Jesus says, watch out for the Pharisees. We weren't looking for Pharisees, we're looking for lunch. You see what he's doing? But see, Jesus... He knows exactly what he's doing. At this, when Jesus said that, beware of this yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. At this, when Jesus said that, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. That's one of those moments when Jesus is going to go, this is going to take a while. <laughs> they don't have ears to hear. They're arguing with each other now. Uh, verse 8, and Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said, you have so little faith. Now, what are they arguing about? Who didn't bring the bread? You have so little faith. Why are you arguing with each other about having no bread? Don't you understand? See the ears to hear? Don't you understand yet? Don't you remember the 5,000 I fed with five loaves and the baskets of leftovers you picked up? Or the 4,000 I fed with seven loaves and the large baskets of leftovers you picked up? Why can't you understand that I'm not talking about bread? I'm not talking about bread. But you said, beware of the yeast. That's not what I'm talking about. So again, so here's Jesus. He said, let's try this one more time. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then at last, they, the disciples in the boat, understood that he wasn't speaking about the yeast in the bread that somebody forgot to bring with them, but about the deceptive teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So what's the yeast? False teaching is the yeast. 
Now, here we go. The same is true for the church today. Religion and ritual cannot replace relationship. And this coming Sunday, I'm going to do Jerusalem series number two. And um, I am amazed at how tonight's topic of yeast really fits into the same overall topic of Jerusalem session two. So there's the teaser. You got to be here Sunday for that. Religion and ritual are not based on ears to hear. Religion and ritual are, are, are trying to find God in another direction. Not ears to hear. Not based on a personal relationship. But understand this. Sin cannot be allowed to grow unchecked inside the church. So we've got two things going on here. One is an external threat. One is an internal threat. You cannot allow sin, which is what the most of the uh, leaven or yeast in the Bible refers to sin. Sin cannot be allowed to grow unchecked inside the church. Church, both are deadly to the church, just like it was deadly to Israel. And I want you to understand, everybody make sure you understand what are the both. Number one is ritual without relationship. Let's just call it religion. And the other one is just plainly sin. Both of them are yeast. A little bit can destroy the entire batch of dough. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're searching for what would yeast in the church? Okay, I get the whole yeast in the Old Testament Israel. Seven days, no yeast. You know, you're trying to teach people how to live in a relationship with God, trusting in the law. But what about the church? What about us now? We're not under the law. What about now? 1 Corinthians 5, 9. And Paul's writing to a Gentile church, by the way. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. I wasn't, talk, I wasn't talking about unbelievers when I wrote that to you. You would have to leave this world to avoid unbelievers who practice sexual sin. Are you listening? Uh, that's not what my letter was about. They're not inside the circle called the church. In the Old Testament, there was a circle called Israel. You can't let the yeast in the circle. Inside the church is a circle. You got to keep the yeast outside the circle because a little yeast permeates the whole batch of dough. So you see the comparison? So Paul says, when I wrote to you before and I told you don't indulge with those who practice sexual sin, I wasn't talking about people outside the circle. I'm talking about people inside the circle. Here it comes. And, and by the way, it's not just sexual sin. So in case you sit here in the room and you think, well, that's not my problem, but then greedy, well, that's yours. Okay, then you're in here. Or you cheat people and you worship idols, just so everybody's feeling the same here. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer. Oh, now they're inside the circle yet indulges in sexual sin, or is greedy, or worships worship idols. Now he's going to add a couple more. Or they're abusive, and they're a drunkard, or they cheat people. 
Don't even eat with such people. Why? Well, that's not very nice. How welcoming is that? What's he trying to do? A little bit of yeast can permeate the entire batch of dough. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders. What outsider? Outside the circle. Right? Can you see Old Testament? Can you see New Testament? These are called out people. What, what, what's the church? It's the ecclesia. What's the ecclesia? What's the church? The called out people. I'm calling you out of the world. I'm going to call you out of the world, draw a circle, and you're going to be a unique people, a, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That's what he said about Israel. But you got to keep the yeast out of the circle, right? Because if what? What happens? Well, let's be practical. What happens when the yeast gets inside the circle? You look just like the people outside the circle. And that's deadly. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it is certainly your responsibility to judge those inside the church, inside the circle, who are what? Sinning. God will judge those on the outside of the circle. Somebody say hallelujah. You know what? Don't worry about it. Y'all got enough to do now. God will judge those outside the circle, but the scriptures say you must remove the evil person from among you. What is the evil person in this analogy? It's yeast. Now, does that, if, if we kick everybody out who sins, then, then nobody will be in the room tonight. So what do you do? Well, I'm going to tell you, we, we point our sights toward truth. And God's mercy is sufficient, but we do not allow yeast to grow unchecked. We call yeast, yeast. We call sin, sin. All right? I, I remember somebody saying, you know, when I came to Christ and when I was born again of the Holy Spirit, I am not sinless, but I sin less. It is a process of transformation. I sin less. The things I used to deal with, struggle with, I don't struggle with now. But, I, but you know how you get there? You, never have, you didn't get there by calling yeast okay. You, you, you got there by calling yeast what it is. It will destroy the entire batch inside the circle. Let's go to Galatians 5. This is Paul's warning about false teaching. That, that's yeast, right? We just found out false teaching, the, the teachings of the beware of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Paul says, you, by the way, this is also a Gentile church. You were running the race so well. Uh, who, held, who has held you back from following the truth? You, church, you were doing so well. What happened? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one that called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I'm trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teaching. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. So what is it? False teaching. And I'm going to tell you, in the American church, this is cataclysmic. I mean, you... You ever just turn on the television to any religious channel? It's a smorgasbord. You can get anything you want on there. If, if somebody doesn't know what they're looking for, if they don't know anything about this, you, you, it would be so easy to be deceived. 
You wouldn't have a clue. What? It's yeast. It's false teaching. So more yeast inside the church. In fact, this is probably one of the most powerful descriptions of, of the reality right now in American church. Jude 1 verse 3. Dear friends, I had been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. That'd be good news, right? But now I find I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches. What is that? You got yeast inside the circle. Some ungodly people, false teachers, have wormed their way into your churches. They've gotten in the circle and they're carrying yeast. This is the bad yeast. This, this yeast doesn't make you better. This yeast make you, makes you worse. And what is the false teaching? You ready? This is why I say this fits the American church. Saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. You know what? There's a doctrine in the American church, this, much of it is wrapped up in the prosperity gospel, that the idea that the grace of God basically allows you to do whatever you want to because when you sin, grace increases. So you sin, sin, grace increases, pow, pow, pow. You sin, sin more, grace increases more, more, more. No matter where you go, grace, grace, grace covers your sin. Now Jude says that is yeast that has entered the circle with a, with a message that, let me just read it again. God's marvelous grace allows you to live an immoral life. The condemnation of such people, who the false teachers and anybody that this yeast soaks into, was recorded. The condemnation of these people was recorded long ago. For they, what is their condemnation? For they have denied our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. If you're, if you're willing to say that the grace means sin doesn't matter, you are in the same breath denying our Lord and Master Jesus Christ because he says it does matter. You're denying him. It does matter. Is grace marvelous? Absolutely. But it is not a license for you to do whatever you want to. That's not what grace is. Somebody made that up. So then he goes on. So I want to remind you, though you already know these things, that Jesus first rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt, right? And then he drew a circle and told them, no yeast, right? But later he destroyed those who did not remain faithful. Had, had yeast got inside the circle. He destroyed. Did you know that? He destroyed them. The condemnation, it was their destruction. And I remind you, this isn't just on earth. This is interesting. This topic of yeast and the kingdom of heaven, you know, it's not just earthly. He says, I remind you of the angels. Now we're talking about the heavenly beings, that the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority, let's just say that God drew a circle around the angels. You stay inside the circle. You don't let yeast inside your circle either. You're a called out group, right? What do you think Satan is? He didn't stay in the circle. 
I remind you that the angels of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them, but left the place where they belonged, God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness waiting for the great day of judgment. Wow. And one more. And don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring towns, which were filled with immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. Those cities were destroyed by fire as a severe warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment. Who do you think they were a warning to? Us. That's New Testament. So let's wrap up this first parable. Beware of yeast. Has it come? It can be a religious ritual, scribes and Pharisees, that you, you know what this says, but it's, it's, it's just words. You don't have ears to hear. You, you wouldn't recognize Jesus if he stood in front of you. You, you don't have any relationship. Or, or secondly, the yeast can be that, scribes and Pharisees, religious ritual, repetition. Churches just going through rituals without any relationship. Or it could just be outright, outright yeast. It's just sin. Get rid of the yeast. It's going to mess up the entire batch of dough. All right, let's go to number two. Number 12, actually. Uh, hidden treasure. Hidden treasure. The kingdom, Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. When you get it, you get it. That's what this parable is. When you get it, when you see that treasure, you know it's worth. The value of this kingdom treasure, when you get it, when you have ears to hear, when you finally get it, listen, I make a big point, because there's a lot of people who get close to getting it and then they don't get it. But when you see the kingdom of heaven is like a man who discovered treasure. He saw something hidden in the field. He is so excited that he sells everything he owns to go get money to, to get that field. He gets it. He gets it. This is bigger than anything I've ever had. So I want to give you an illustration. I want you to imagine a common laborer, a hired hand working in a field for an employer. The laborer finds a huge diamond. It's this big. Okay. A diamond that big. Buried in the dirt, he doesn't dare uncover it because somebody will whoop him and take it away from him. So he, he doesn't dare uncover it because he knows that he will not be able to possess it if he does. So the laborer leaves the field. He hides the diamond again. He knows where it is. He knows its value. And he leaves the field and he goes and he does what? This is so big. And this is what the kingdom of heaven is. Listen, Jesus says, this is it. He sells everything he's got. Everything. Unload it all. What? To gain enough to purchase the field so that the diamond becomes his. This is the kingdom of heaven. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Once you get it, you get it. Well, what's that mean? Nothing else. Once you see its worth. Once you measure its value, you can look around the world and you say, that's the most precious thing on the earth. That's it. 
That's it. That's it. I would give, you know what? It, it stops the competition of the human heart. Because I'm not trying to weigh, well, I don't know about this Jesus thing. No, you know, you're, you, you're past that. That's what the kingdom of, of heaven is like. Once you understand the worth, the value of that which God has offered us through Christ, you would give up everything to obtain it for yourself. The inward battle of man is defeated. It's over. Yes, you would even give up your own life. What? Yeah. Yeah, you would. You would even give up your own life because you know the gift of God. The treasure is eternal life. You know what that gift is that's hiding in the field? It's eternal life. You would give up your physical life that, has, that is mortal, that comes with, what, some ending date. You would give that up for eternal life, wouldn't you? You would if you knew what eternal life was. Right? He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Right? Yeah, but you would have to know that. So here, let's do something. Let's go to Matthew 16. And Jesus is going to use another way to describe it. Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. So, so let's just stop there for a moment. So you see the treasure in the field, and you know it's really big, and you know it's really valuable, and you go and you think, I'll just sell everything I have. And then I look at what I've got and say, but I'm pretty attached to that. And then I look at the treasure in the field and say, no, that's worth more. No. And so then you go and try to get rid of that stuff that's keeping you from, that would make you buy the field. You say, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, now here we go. Let me read again. If you want to be my follower, you must turn from everything over here. You must know that what is over here in the field is bigger than what you've got in your possession. You must turn from your selfish way. Selfish means that you're going to live on that which you have. You're going to trust that which you can obtain yourself to be your treasure. Well, you're going to run out of time because you don't have enough time. You got to take up a cross to follow me. Here, if you try to hang on to your life, using that analogy, I battle with the value of the treasure. I know it's important that Jesus treasure in the, in the dirt. But you know what? This over here is important too. If you try to hang on to your life, you try to juggle this thing, you're going to lose your life. But if you give up your life for my sake, you're going to save it. And what do you benefit? If you gain the whole world, what if everything over here just multiplies in your Bill Gates in Lawrenceburg? Whoa, right? You gain the whole world and you lose your own soul. And here comes the point. Is anything worth more than your soul? So tonight, if I ask you a question, what price tag would you put on your soul? What's it's worth? What's it worth? Everything. Whatever it takes. The whole thing. It's worth it all, right? So what would it profit me if I gained the whole world and lose my soul? What would I gain? For the Son of Man, now here it comes. 
for the Son of Man will come with his angels. Now, I got to think about this when I go balancing this treasure in the dirt and the treasure of my life. For the Son of Man, so he's giving me a heads up, for the Son of Man's going to come with his angels in their glory of his Father, and they're going to judge all people according to their deeds. And there's that harvest thing we talked about last week. And I'll tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, I hope you understand, he said that because that's what some of the people standing there were going to be alive when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost and the kingdom of God is going to enter inside the temples of people walking around in Jerusalem. And he did too. And you wouldn't sell your possessions and buy a field slowly. Now here, I want to make a point of this. In Jesus' parable, I see urgency. So when I find that treasure, that diamond in the dirt, I'm not going to say, I'm going to think about this for a while. Now, I'm not going to think about this for a while. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm going to cut a deal with whoever and whatever to get enough money to buy this field. And you know when I'm going to do it? Now. Why? Somebody else might come in and slip in and find my diamond. I'm urgent. You see the urgency? I would do it with great passion. Now, let me, let me tell you why I make a big deal out of that. I'm going to try this, do this without getting in trouble. I usually get in trouble anyway. Around December, I get a phone call in the office one day. It's a, a lady that I kind of know who uh, is under some conviction. She's, I think, watching her services online. And I'm on the phone with her, and she says, I, I, I'm under conviction. I would like to come and be baptized. Okay, I can do that. I said, uh, when do you want to do that? I can do that today. Uh, no, I can't do it today. I, I got, no, no, no. So what about Sunday? Well, no, I can't, I can't do it Sunday. I'll, um, my family can do it next Sunday. Okay. All right. So we scheduled it for two weeks. Now, she's under conviction. She told me she's under conviction. So uh, two weeks, well, the first week went by. So I'm, I call her and I say, we're on for this Sunday, right? Um, no, I've, I've got something going on. Okay. When are you uh, now the next one. Well, that was December and that went into January. And, and I had it up on my board. I've got a follow-up system that I use. And, and I followed up, and I followed up, and I followed up. I raised it from the board. If I got to make you do it, you have no idea what's under the dirt over here in front of you. Yeah, I can't. So, so what is that? What is? In a moment, I saw a treasure. And the treasure seemed to be so much more glorious than anything I had. And I put it off. I, I didn't go take hold of the treasure. I didn't go, I didn't take hold of that which I saw because the things around me suddenly started to compete with the treasure. And that happened for a few weeks until suddenly, I'll get back with you on that preacher. Urgency. So let me read you a story. Let me give you context. It's Acts chapter 16. And uh, Paul and Silas have been preaching, and they got in trouble while they were preaching. 
And um, they got so mad at Paul and Silas that they took sticks and beat them and threw them into jail. And while they're in jail and they're all bloodied and they're all beaten, they're pray the Bible says they're praying and singing songs. Now, if you're in the jail or you're the jailer and you listen to that, you got two options. Either these guys are nuts, option A, or these guys have got something that is quite interesting. It almost makes you wonder if they found some treasure in a field somewhere. Okay, so here we go. Here's the story. The jailer woke up, by the way, in the middle of the night, the, the walls are shaking and the gates open up and it looks like from the jailer's perspective, everybody's gone. I'm a Roman. They're going to kill me. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, Paul and Silas, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Now, he's, I'm assuming, I'm assuming he's been listening to these guys singing songs. He checked them in. He knows they're bloodied and they're beaten. What's going on with you people? And just so happened tonight, the earth just shook and the gates are open. Makes you curious. Verse 30. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Must have been some good singing. That's good singing. Then they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household even at that hour of the night. Now we're talking about, we're up in the nighttime now. The jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone, the jailer, and everyone in the jailer's house were immediately baptized. Now, I got to ask you, why wouldn't you just wait till in the morning? They saw the treasure underneath the dirt. You see, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who went out into a field and he found a treasure. The treasure was so big that he hides it in, covers it up, and he goes and sells everything he's got. Anything that's in the way of that treasure is out of here. It's gone. So that I might take possession of that which is the most expensive thing I've ever seen on earth. Verse 34, he brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. They found the treasure. All right, last one tonight. There's a real connection here, and I'm excited about the connection. Number 13, the pearl of great value. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. By the way, this follows immediately after the other one. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout. Now, notice on the lookout, okay? He's on the lookout for choice pearls, pearls of great value. And when he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. Now, the kingdom of heaven's like that. This parable is like the one before that we just talked about of the hidden treasure in the dirt. They both speak of finding a rare and valuable treasure. This one is different from the first because, and I wonder, you know, I got to confess something. I never noticed this. Until I did this study. I never saw what I'm about to show you. Maybe you already saw it. and Maybe you think, well, I, you should have got it by now, preacher. <laughs> this one is different from the first one because this one was actually looking for treasure. The first one wasn't. 
The first one stumbles upon it. This one's looking for it. Whoa, I could take this down another road. He's actually looking. He's on the lookout where the previous one just stumbles upon it by accident or providence. One was seeking. That's a typo. It's not seeking. It's seeking. One was seeking the treasure of great value. The other one stumbled upon the treasure of great value, or so it seemed to him. Can you see something powerful in these two back-to-back parables? And don't you be reading ahead and nodding your head either. Can you see something powerful? Because I'm going to tell you, when I got to this part in the study, it's like, whoa, I never saw this in my lifetime. Can you see Jews and Gentiles? Oh, my, can I? And I'm going to show it to you just in case you haven't seen it. In the first parable, he wasn't looking. He's just a laborer in a field. And he stumbles upon something of great value. The second one in the pearl, they're actually looking for pearls. And he finds a gem, a dandy. But he's looking. The first one's not. The Jews and the Gentiles. Here we go. Romans 9 verse 30. What does all this mean? Even though the Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standards... They were made right with God. And it was by faith that this took place. But the people of Israel who tried so hard, they're pearl shopping, they tried so hard to get right with God by keeping the law, yet they never succeeded. Why not? Because they, the Jews, were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of trusting in Him. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's what it looks like. They stumbled over the great rock in their path, the treasure. God warned them of this in the scripture when he said, I'm placing a stone in Jerusalem. Now, what's more valuable than that stone that God placed in Jerusalem? Nothing. It is is the treasure of all mankind. And yet what? That makes people stumble. But those people who stumbled on that stone were looking for the stone. They were looking. It's the pearl parable. They were looking for a pearl of great value. And here he is. And what they did, they tripped over the pearl. They tripped over it. They couldn't get it. Why? It says it because they were looking to find God through the law. Through do's and don'ts, religious ritual. And it never became personal. It never became Abba, Father, Daddy. It never became that. Not, not for all of them, obviously Peter, Andrew, James, John, but as a nation. I'm placing a stone in Jerusalem that people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. But anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. And let's go down to verse 19 of chapter 10. Again, what are we doing? This hidden treasure and the pearl, the Jews and the Gentiles. I, but I ask, did the people of Israel really understand? Did they have ears to hear? Yes, they did. For even in the time of Moses, God said, I will rouse your jealousy through people who are not even a nation. You know who that is? Us. I will rouse your jealousy through people who aren't even a nation. They don't even have a circle. But I'll make a circle and put them in it. Listen. I will provoke your anger, Jews, through the foolish Gentiles. Why? Because they're going to find something they weren't looking for while you fall over the one 
you were looking for. You see the two parables? Whoa. Verse 20, and later Isaiah spoke boldly for God saying, I was found by people who were not looking for me. I showed myself to those who were not asking for me. But regarding Israel, God said all day long, I opened my arms to them, but they were disobedient and rebellious and they just kept tripping over Jesus. We are some 2,000 years into the church age. Listen carefully. The time when God has opened up salvation to the Gentile world. And many have stumbled upon a treasure. By providence or whatever. <laughs> Who cares? They have stumbled upon a treasure and they were not seeking. I confess today I am one of those Gentiles. I stumbled upon a treasure. What God put, that rock that God put in Jerusalem, I was not looking for him. And I found him. Do you know how I know that? John 15, 16. You didn't choose me. I chose you. Every Gentile on earth can say this. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. How does that fit in all the parables we've dealt so far? Seeds, farmers, gardeners, vines, branches. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. And if the world hates you, remember, it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you take down that circle. Anybody listen? Because that's what that just said. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. The only way you can belong to the world is you've got to stop this called out life. And you got to let the yeast on the outside of the circle permeate the dough of inside the circle. And the world will call you their friend. And then you will die and you will be lost forever. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you're no longer part of the world. What? We're inside the circle. We're the called out. The chosen, the called out. I chose you to come out of the world. So it hates you. But one day, listen, the last Gentile is going to come in. I've said this in several services in the last 10 years. If that last Gentile's in the room today, I'm going to offer an invitation at the end. <laughs> And here's why. Some of these branches from Abraham's tree. Now, before I read, I want to make sure everybody's with me. There are two parables back to back by Jesus. One is, this guy's not looking for treasure. He just stumbles upon treasure. God's providence reveals treasure. He's the Gentile. And then you got this other one. He's out hunting beautiful pearls, and he finds the most beautiful pearl. 
He's, they're the Jews. Okay? They just, and I'm not, don't put everything in there, but it's a wonderful comparison of God's timing. And one day, listen, one day, I'm going to read to you, one day the last Gentile will come in. And it, it's, the, it's the, the time of the Gentiles. It will be the end of the church age. And then something will happen. Those who have been falling over Messiah, those who have been tripping over the Christ in Jerusalem, they'll have ears to hear. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. Here we go. Some of these branches from Abraham's tree, and let's just call them the pearl seekers. Some of the people of Israel have been broken off. And you Gentiles who were branches from a wild olive tree, you've been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. But you must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. Don't be arrogant, church. Don't do it. You are just the branch. You're just a branch. You are not the root. Well, you may say those branches were broken off to make room for me. That the Jews were broken off to make room for the Gentiles. You might say that. Yes, but remember, those branches were broken off. Why? Why were they broken off? Because God's mean? No. They were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ. They tripped over the rock in Jerusalem. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Those branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ. And you are there because you do believe. You do believe, right? And the proof of that would be what? You found the treasure in the field and you were willing to sell everything you had to take it, right? That's, that's what we're talking about here. So don't think highly of yourself, but fear what could happen to Gentiles, knowing what happened to the Jews. Here we go. For if God did not spare the original branches, the Jews, he won't spare you either. Uh-oh. Notice how God is both kind and severe. He is severe toward those who disobeyed, but he's kind to you. If you continue to trust in his kindness. But if you stop trusting, now this is to the Gentiles, but if you stop trusting, you also will be cut off. And if the people of Israel turn from their unbelief and, and see the pearl of great value, they will be grafted in again. For God has the power to graft them back into the tree. You, Gentiles, by nature were a branch cut from a wild olive tree. So if God was willing to do something contrary to nature by grafting you into his cultivated tree, he will be far more eager to graft the original branches back into the tree where they belong. Here we go, verse 25. I want you to understand the mystery. We've been talking about mysteries this whole session. I, ears to hear I want you to understand the mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves, you bunch of Gentiles in the church age. That's who he's talking to. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last only until, da, 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 
until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. So, and so all Israel will be saved. As the scriptures say, the one who rescues will come from Jerusalem and he will turn Israel away from ungodliness. And this is my covenant with them. I will take away their sins. How? Because he will give them ears to hear and they will see the pearl of great price and possess it. Did, now let me say something very carefully. Did some Jews come to Christ during the church age? Since Pentecost to now. Yes. Yeah, many Jews have come to Christ. I know s several Messianic Jews personally who have come to Christ. Yes, yes, yes. During the time of Gentiles, did some Jewish people, many Jewish people come to Christ? Yes. So here's the question. Will, after the last Gentile comes in, after the last Gentile, when the full number of Gentiles comes in, when the church age closes, that door closes, Will some Gentiles come to Christ during the tribulation after the rapture of the church when God then opens the eyes of the Jews? Yes. Yes. And I certainly hope that is not your plan. And if that is your plan, you are delusional. You know why? I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to read Revelation 7, verse 1, and I want to tell you, this is during the tribulation. This is after the four horses of the apocalypse are released upon the earth. And those four horses, the first one is the, horse, the rider who's on a white horse. And don't be deceived. In, in chapter 7, the rider on the white horse is not Jesus. He is the Antichrist. He is the fake Jesus. And he comes to kill. He comes, he's released during the tribulation. And then death and famine and all that stuff are the other horses that come. So... Listen carefully. And then I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds so that they did, not, did, they did not blow on the earth or the sea or even on any tree. And I saw another angel coming up from the east carrying the seal of the living God. By the way, this scripture's heavily into Sunday's Jerusalem, and I did not plan that. And he shouted to those four angels who had been given power to harm land and sea. And he shouted, wait, don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed a seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. Wait, wait, what, what are we waiting? This is the tribulation. There is absolute destruction taking place on the earth, but there's a pause and the pause is, wait, something now has to happen first. What is it? Don't harm the land or the sea and the trees until we place the seal of God, that's ownership, on the foreheads of his servants. And I heard how many were marked with the seal of God. 144,000 were sealed from all the tribes of what? Not Gentiles, are they? These are the Jews, 144,000. If you go back and read seven, it's going to be, it's going to be um, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. That's how you get 144,000. He's going to break down the 12 tribes of Israel and 12,000, 12,000, 12,000, 12,000, 12,000. 
they're going to get the seal. So I asked you a question before I started reading this. Did, uh, during the time of the Gentiles, the church age, did many Jews come in? Yeah, they did. And will some, some come in during this time? Well, the Jews are obviously going to be marked. Let me keep going. So what's our conclusion of these three parables tonight? We've got the east, which is the circle of the called out people. Let's keep the sin on the outside of the circle. You got the hidden treasure, which you stumbled upon this rock in Jerusalem and sold everything to have it. And then you got the pearl of great price, which means that you were looking, many of the Jews were looking for it and many of them didn't find it. And then in the tribulation, many will finally find it. So what's the conclusion? And I asked this question and I started with, why parables? So that you might have a chance to hear. Here we go. Here's the closing. I'm back in the New Testament book of Hebrews. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work was an illustration of the truths God would reveal later. But Christ, as the Son, is in charge of God's entire house. And we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. That is why the Holy Spirit says, today, when you hear His voice, you, you, why do I make such a big deal out of why parables? Because parables revealed those who had ears to hear. They were listening. Gentiles. They stumbled upon a treasure. And in that moment, they had to listen and respond to the treasure when they stumbled upon it. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. When they tested me and they, don't do what, don't do what Israel did. Don't do it. Gentiles, don't do it. There, your ancestors tested me and tried my patience, even though they saw the miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with Israel, with them. And I said, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, and make sure that your own heart, your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still called today so that none of you will be deceived by sin, there's that yeast, and hardened against God. There's the Pharisees and the Sadducees. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Somebody say hallelujah. If you're faithful to the end, you'll share in this. That's the treasure. Remember what it says today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. And who was it who rebelled against God? This, this is why I'm using it. Who, who rebelled against God? The ones inside the circle. The ones inside the circle. Church, anybody listening? Who rebelled against God? The ones inside the circle. Israel. Who was it that rebelled? Even though they heard his voice, wasn't it the people of Moses that Moses led out of Egypt? And who made God angry for 40 years? The people outside the circle? No. 
Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses are in the wilderness? Where did the corpses come from? Outside the circle, inside the circle. Where? Inside the circle. Why? Yeast crossed the line. Church, you see it? Is it any di- are we any different? Here we go, verse 18. And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath? They will never enter his wrist. Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So, so we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his wrist. Unbelief, ears to hear. Why parables? So people will hear. I get it, some will, some won't. Jesus in the Beatitudes says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be what? Feel. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for parables. Thank you for giving us ears to hear. Thank you for putting a rock in Jerusalem and revealing it to us Gentiles. We weren't even looking for this mercy, this treasure, and you showed it to us by grace. I pray, Father, that we will see your value. In Jesus' name, and amen. Thank you all.